Hi, and welcome to another great message from Mr. Christian Outreach Church. We pray you'll be inspired and equipped by this teaching. For more information on Mr. Christian Outreach Church, please check out our website at noosacoc.org.au. Enjoy. It's a little bit hilarious that I stand up here to speak to you on Father's Day, being that I'm not the right gender, let alone having children. So, but um, I've had an incredible couple of weeks getting ready for this message, I must admit. It's been so much fun just capturing the Father heart of God and studying it and getting revelation. And I feel like for me, God has blessed me so immensely over the last couple of weeks with just amazing revelation. I rang my dad the other day and I'm like, I'm trying to write a message for Father's Day and I have more questions than I have answers. I said, I'm I'm looking through the Bible and I'm going, wow, why have I never seen that before? Why have I never seen that before? Just the revelation tumbling forth. And um, so it's been really good. Um, So I only hope that I don't go on forever because I've got a lot and I really should probably preach this over multiple weeks, but we've got Gary coming next week. So are you ready? Are you hanging on? We're ready. Thank you, Father. Lord, we just thank you that you are in our midst. Lord, we just praise you in this place today, Father. And Lord, we thank you that you are our God. And Lord, you are our King and you are our Father. Lord, to each and every one of us sitting here today, Lord, I pray that you would just pour out your revelation into us. Lord, that we would see and understand a greater facet of who you are as our Father who you are as our eternal, everlasting Father. God, we just thank you. Lord, open our hearts to what you would have to say. Lord, let the words of man drop to the floor. And Lord, let the revelation of God just pierce us and stay with us in your precious name. Amen. Amen. So today I want to have a look at some of the great fathers in the Word of God. Would you turn with me to Exodus 3.13? So I've been on a bit of a journey with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which spans a long time and spans a lot of chapters in the Bible. So I'm going to try and condense these down. So God said to Moses, I've heard the cry of the children of Israel, and I've come to deliver them through you. And then we pick up in Exodus 3.13. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me, and they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Then God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, And the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this will be my memorial to all generations. The identity of God in that moment, he revealed himself to Moses and said, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac and I'm the God of Jacob. And we've heard that. It's it's mentioned so many times in the word of God. But as I started to uncover that and say, God, why? Why would God align his identity and reveal himself through those three people? 
He's saying, I'm the God of your fathers. God said, this is who I am. And this will be a record. This will be the remembrance to all generations. So Abraham, as we know, he was the father of a multitude. He was a friend of God and he was founder of the Hebrew nation via God's elective covenant. I started to look into father in the Hebrew, which is the word av. So it's father of an individual, head or founder of a household, group, family or clan. But it also means architect, builder, creator and one who causes something to be. I love this because it's so outside of just a maternal father, someone that has, has uh, given seed to produce a son or a daughter. Satan is known as the father of lies. So he produces evil. And then we know that there is different people throughout history. Hippocrates was referred to as the father of Western medicine. So he was the, the creator. And then, of course, God is our everlasting father. So in Genesis chapter 15, God comes to Abram and says, Look towards heaven and the stars, so shall your descendants be. And it was at this point that the promise was given to Abram. Now we know that Abram was old in his days, as was Sarai, and they hadn't been able to conceive a child. And Abram is crying out to God and going, God, I'm going to have to to pass everything to, I think it was my nephew or something like that. He's saying, I don't have a direct heir. And so God comes to him and says this incredible promise to him. But then 10 years later, still waiting. Sarai is sick of waiting. She's exhausted in her faith. And even Abram's weak, uh, faith has weakened. Do you blame them? 10 years. It's a long time to wait for a promise, isn't it? Ten years later. So she says to Abram, go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And as we know, Ishmael is then born at that stage. So then we go another 13 years. I'm just studying this and I'm going, wow. I knew it was a long time, but another 13 years that God appears to Abram again. And declares that he shall now become Abraham. That he shall now become a father of many nations. That I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. And then, as we know, Isaac is conceived. Why did God make this covenant with Abraham? Why did he choose him? Why did God choose him to be the father of many nations? Why did God choose him to align his identity with and declare that he is God of Abraham? This struck a chord with me. Genesis 18.19 says, For I have known him, being Abraham, in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord, to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. Believe that God saw in Abraham that he would be a father that would teach the generations. 
As we know back then, they didn't have the word of God. There wasn't something written down for them to pass down to the generation. So it was so important for God to be able to say, I need for a man to capture who I am. I need for a man to know who I am, to capture my heart. And a man that will raise his children, that will instill into his children this identity of who I am as God and King. So Abraham, he knew that he would raise his household according to the God that Abraham knew. Genesis 22 then goes on and God tested Abraham again, as we know. Would he this time trust God in the test? Would he this time trust God with his most precious promise? And would he offer Isaac as an offering back to God? James says of Abraham that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called friend of God. I think that's so beautiful. Abraham didn't get it right from the beginning. He lost hope. He took matters into his own hands. But at the end of the day, God said it was accounted to Abraham for righteousness and that he was known as a friend of mine. You know, God cares about how we finish. He cares about where we are at the end of our lifetime. Thank the Lord that he doesn't expect perfection. Out of our obedience comes our greatest blessing. And wasn't that so true for Abraham? You know, when he finally got to the point and Isaac was born, the blessing that came into the generations was so incredible. And that's the line that I've loved to study these last few weeks and and look into that. So God says to Abraham in Genesis 22, 17, Blessings, I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and of the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Sometimes our pathway to obedience isn't the straightest, is it? Abraham got there in the end. He got the intended promise of God. He got Isaac in the end. There was a few little deviations on the road, a few stepping outside, and a lot of time that had passed. But in the end, his promise came to pass. And then we see Isaac. Isaac means he laughs. Isn't that so beautiful? He laughs. He's the son of Abraham and Sarah. And he's the father of Jacob and Esau. I love reading the story of Isaac and seeing that his faith was strong in the areas that Abraham had broken through. Those areas where, where Abraham had struggled with God and struggled over the years to have faith and to press in and to believe that God was going to come through in those areas. He saw them. He saw those areas. So Isaac was 40 when he married Rebecca, And then he was 60 years old when he finally gave birth. Genesis 25 says, Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea and Rebekah, his wife, 
conceived. You know, I can imagine Abraham telling the story to Isaac. Your mother was barren. We couldn't have children. We didn't have children. And then in my old age, God came. And it was the most hilarious thing I had ever heard in my life. God standing before me, telling me that I would be the father of many nations. Have you ever heard anything more hilarious in your life? And reciting this story to Isaac and going through the twists and the turns on the journey and and what had happened along the way and Ishmael being born and, and what had been spawned out of that. But then to finally be able to say, but the promise of God was revealed in your life. Look what he did. Look what he did in passing that down. So Isaac by no means had an easy life. He wasn't the perfect father either. He favoured Esau and caused there to be great tension between brothers. But Isaac had the faith to stand and believe for a child for Rebekah. He said, God, if you can do it for my father, then you can do it for me. It's that simple. I've heard the testimony of my father. My life is living proof of the promises of God that have come through my generation. And you see, Abraham commanded his household after him. So along comes Esau and Jacob. And Isaac was greatly blessed of God. So Jacob, he's our heel holder. Jacob was the second born. Esau was the first born. So he came out holding Esau's heel. Such a uh, inspired name to name your child, isn't it? Doesn't it amaze you some of the, the meanings of the name in the word of God? It's like, had these parents not actually considered a name prior to the birth? Did they just need to be inspired in the moment? Oh, he looks like a heel holder. Not sure where that comes from, but anyway. So he's the son of Isaac, grandson of Abraham, and father of the 12 patriarchs of the tribes of Israel. And unfortunately, we don't have time to go all the way down that line today. But as we know, Esau sells Jacob his birthright for a bowl of stew. And I'm sure we've all heard some incredible messages out of there because we all sit and go, what the? Like, seriously, for a bowl of stew. To a degree, I get that because I'm a food person and when I need to eat, I need to eat. So I can understand the urgency in the moment, like I'm going to die unless you give me that bowl of stew. So I can understand that. But I would have negotiated, you know. He started at birthright. I would have gone, "Mm, you know, what about just my kill of the day? Or, you know, what about I do your chores for the next week? Or whatever it may be, it was just nut. He was that desperate, birthright, gone. Jacob also deceives his father and steals the firstborn blessing. Then, understandably, a very angry Esau causes Jacob to have to flee. So the thing that struck me out of this was, would God still have given Jacob the blessing if he hadn't have stole it that day? If he hadn't have gone in and deceived his father? If he hadn't have tricked the family, if he hadn't have been conniving, if he hadn't have gone and and pulled the wool over his eyes. And then I read in Genesis 25, 23, that God is speaking to Jacob's mother and said, 
Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body, as we know Esau and Jacob. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Isn't that incredible? So before Esau and Jacob were even uh, born, before they were even, even had breath in their lungs, God had said that the younger will serve the older. It was a promise of God from the very beginning. Makes me wonder how God would have brought this promise to come about. If Jacob hadn't have taken matters into his own hand, how different this story would have looked in the moment. But as we know, God's promise still would have been fulfilled at the end of the day. Jacob was ruthless in taking his brother's birthright over something so small and deceiving of his father in stealing the blessing. But despite all of this, Isaac imparts the generational blessing over Jacob and his line. And he says, May God Almighty bless you and make you faithful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which I gave to Abraham. So Jacob then leaves on not such great terms with his brother as we know. And he goes and he marries Leah and Rachel. And remember that he's tricked into marrying poor Leah. Leah's the firstborn of the family. But his heart he had given to Rachel. So he loves Rachel more than Leah. But Rachel, of course, is barren. So yet again, in the next generation, the struggle continues. But again, God opens the womb of Rachel and Jacob. And finally, they give birth to Joseph. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Joseph, this incredible man of God. Joseph that was in the pit and in the prison and stood before Pharaoh and essentially ruled this nation and saved his people. This mighty man of God. No wonder. Look at his father. Look at his grandfather. Look at his great-grandfather. The generational inheritance which came through those family lines, which then goes to, jo- uh, to Joseph. I just stand and go, no wonder. You know, I know that God's strength was upon him to do all of that. But can you imagine what Joseph had within him? Can you imagine the truth the things that had been spoken to him over the generations, the miracles that his father and his grandfathers had spoken to him, this is God. This is the God that we serve. So God opens the womb. Joseph is born. And we see a man of conviction who stayed faithful to God. So the last few weeks have caused me to ponder, why did Abraham, Isaac and Jacob's wives, why were they all barren, each and every one of them, through their generations? There was such shame attached to barrenness back in those days, in the eyes of the world, that you were not blessed of God 
the wealth of a family was known by how many sons that the wife could give birth to. Yet God had promised Abraham that he would be the father of many nations and that his descendants, descendants would be blessed. Was God really trying to drive home that this would be done through him? Was God trying to drive home that more than just God breathing life and creating them in the womb, that this was in God's hands, that these generations truly were handcrafted by God, that they truly were in God's timing, that they truly were coming from a place of 100% God saying, this is the family line, this is the generations, this is what I am breathing life into. They were really blessed of God, each and every generation. And it required more than just the usual hand of God to see each generation come to pass. But was the enemy also sitting on the sidelines trying to sabotage that incredible blessing? Was the enemy going, no, I know God has said that you're going to be the father of many nations. I know that out of you is going to come the most incredible man of the Bible. So no, I'm going to do whatever I can to stop this dream from being fulfilled. I'm going to stand in the way. I'm going to make you doubt. I'm going to put every stumbling block in the way that I possibly can. There's no way the enemy wants to see. Can you imagine? I mean, the, the effect that all of those generations have had in the course of history. If the enemy could have just come in and, and robbed one generation, it would have completely changed that generational line. What was the blessing that came out of the barrenness? Out of the area of the seemingly impossible, God revealed so much of himself to Abraham and Sarah. God is the God of the impossible. Amen, full stop. God's promises will be fulfilled. Even when we try and take matters into our own hands and we make a really big mess out of it. God does not require perfection. He is the God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances. God's promises aren't just for a single generation. He is the God of the generations. And that, I think, is the most incredible thing that we can see in this story, is that there was no way it was going to be possible for Abraham in his lifetime to see that he would be father to all these, these nations and generations. It was not physically possible. So the promise that God rested on Abraham's shoulders, was to be birthed out of him, the start of that. The seed of that was to be sown to the next generations, to see this, this blessing and this conviction passed down in the generations. It wasn't a promise that Abraham could fulfill on his own. It was a promise that, that has played out over the course of history and is incredible. They were all barren, yet God chose that area of impossibility to give birth to his people. Fathers, what is God birthing out of your family lines? 
It may seem like your greatest area of impossibility. It may seem like the area that the enemy is trying to rob and steal and destroy. But what is the promises that God has spoken over you? Or what is the promises that God spoke over your father or grandfather that need to be passed down to the generations? God said, may God Almighty bless you and make you faithful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of people and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God has given to Abraham. You know, you can do a course for anything these days. There's no course for being a father, but is there? I think in this day and age, the identity of the father is being lost amongst the busyness and the demands of society. I was talking with my dad the other day and my dad lost his dad when he was four years old. We, have, um, we did have hereditary heart disease within our family. And um, so my dad's dad died of a heart attack uh, when he was only 45 and my dad was four. So my dad didn't grow up with a dad and you would never know to meet my dad. And I said to him the other day, did that affect your ability to be a father? You didn't have a father in your life. And he started to, to tell me these stories of his friend's fathers that had fathered him and my dad's brothers and had taken them under their wing. They owned properties and, and they would have the opportunity just to go and be boys, ride motorbikes and go shooting and, and just do all those things that boys love to do that my grandmother was never going to be able to, to instill into them. And he said these men were incredible in the way in which we just became a part of the family. They took us on. And he said he had the absolute privilege of, of speaking to one of those men towards the end of his life um, in his 80s or 90s and told this man, you, you probably have no idea, but you were the father that I never had. You gave me the confidence to be the man that I needed to be. You modelled to me how to treat my wife. You modelled to me how to raise my children. All of these things that he would have missed out on in his entire lifetime was instilled by these men in his life, which I think is the most incredible privilege that any man can have. Because, do you know, it says to me, men, that no matter whether you have fathered your own children sitting here today, you can be a father to many. Like that man changed my father's life. You can change the lives of many. Where would I be today? I, I, I don't know. My father is an incredible man. He fathered us so well. Dads, for many of you, your place in the family home has been stolen. You've been lied to and you've been told that you're not needed on the day-to-day. Just bring home the paycheck at the end of the week. That's all we need you for. Dads, can I say that this is the biggest lie of the enemy? Without my father's strong hand in my life today, I don't know where I would be. But I can tell you 100% for sure that I would not be standing on this platform today. Dads, you're needed. 
whether your wife says it to you every day or not. I can promise you, they can't do it on their own. They weren't intended to do it on their own. Your kids were never intended to raise themselves. Your sons need a role model. Your daughters, they need to be loved and cherished. Dads have an incredible list of things that they do. Dads fix things. Dads show their kids the world. Dads help their kids discover what they love. Dads show their sons how to love their wives. Dads empower their daughters in their identity. Dads give permission to their kids. Dads bless. Dads provide. Dads serve their family. Dads create culture. Dads create memorials. Dads establish morals. Dads love unconditionally. Dads give identity. Dads teach thankfulness. Dads give safety and direction. Dads show and model emotions. Dads create opportunity. Dads send their kids further. Dads give an inheritance. Dads discipline and direct. Dads are willing to pay the price. Dads redeem the lost years. Dads believe in their kids. And dads are willing to lay down their own life. Let the band jump up. Job. (laughs) Job is... uh, one of my, my dad's favorite books of the Bible. And growing up as a child, there are uh, many of the sermons that I remember that stick out the most in my head. And Job 1 says of Job, And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each one on his appointed day, and would send an invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of all of them. For Job said, It may have been that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did this regularly. You know, you might be like Job. Your kids might have grown up and left home. They might have kids of their own. But like Job, I can promise you that your job is not done. While there is still breath in your lungs, while there is still breath in your children's lungs, your job as a father still needs to be done. Dads, be the dads that your kids need you to be. Be that dad of love and of discipline. Be that dad that establishes God at the head of his home and says to his family, It's Sunday, we go to church. Be the dad that believes in your kids and makes them feel like they can do anything. You know, for me, there's still room on my dad's lap. I'll never be too big to kiss him goodbye. I'll never be too big to stop holding his hand when we walk down the street. He will always have permission to speak into my life. And he will always be the number one supporter alongside my mum, cheering me on as I take on the world. You may be here today 
and you've bombed out as a dad. I'm here to tell you that it's never too late. Just like God showed Abraham, he is the God of second chances and his promise will be fulfilled. You will be a father in the true sense of the word. You may be here today and you don't have a good relationship with your dad and it's not one that can be made right. I'm here to tell you today that you can be the first in your family line to create a memorial for the generations to come. I love that word memorial, remembrance, memory, call to mind, to cause to remember, be thought of, record. So I'm the daughter of Vince and Robert Mack, the granddaughter of Wallace and Kathleen Mack, and Noel and Olive Blythe, the wife of Joshua Usher. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to the generations. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you in every area of your life, that you would be a people of faith, carriers of the truth with the strength to stand in whatever God has called you to, that God would give you and your descendants the blessing of our family line that you would always walk with him, see his mighty blessing in your days, that your ceiling would become the platform for the next generation. That is the cry of my heart. That is what I have for the next generation. That is the, what I have for those that I mother. What do you have? What do you have within you today? Whether you're a father in the physical sense, whether you're a woman standing here today, I hope that you've seen that my heart is this message is for all of us. God has instilled this incredible generational inheritance in each and every one of us. It's not to be taken lightly. It's not to be forgotten. We're to be like Abraham, a people that will teach the next generation. It can't stop at us. We can't allow it to die out. We can't allow these truths to be gone out of our family lines. Our sons and our daughters, they need to know the faithfulness of God. They need to know the miracle working power of God in our life. Not just to read it of of the ones that have gone before us. They need to know it in our life. They need to know the battles that we've fought. They need to know. They need to know your story. They need to know, dads, that you carry that side of the father, that you have the father's heart for your kids and for the generations to come. Our God is good, amen? He is so good. I hope that my heart for you dads has come through today, that you are needed, you are valued, you are incredible, incredible men of God. And we do love you and value you this morning.